Hello and welcome to Hear the Voice. Today's guest is Emma Carney, a reigning best and fairest AFLW winner and AFLW Premiership player and current AFLW captain of the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos. I have a great chat with Emma about her upbringing, moving to Melbourne, all things in between and present. It's a great chat and a really good insight to the person who is Emma Carney. Hope you enjoy it. Emma Carney, welcome to Hear the Voice. Thanks, Rutsy. Nice to be involved. Well, unofficial nickname, Rutsy, so, but that's okay. You can call me that. <laughs> <laughs> I will, don't worry. Uh, no problem. So uh, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, we're obviously in the middle, well, not in the middle because we don't know when it's going to finish, but we're just talking off air, if you will, about the, the pandemic. Where do we find you during these uh, trying times? I'm in um, lovely Cavendish on my parents' farm. So Cavendish, for those that don't know it, which probably a lot of people won't, um, is a small town located outside of Hamilton. So about three and a half hours west of west of Melbourne. So I'll be here in, indefinitely until this sort of pandemic quietens down a little bit and then I'll make my way back to Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We could be losing you there a little bit due to the, the Cavendish line. Have we still got Can you? Can you hear me all right now? Yeah, don't yes. move. Don't move for 45 minutes. <laughs> I think I think you're right now. Um, so Cavendish, three hours out of Hamilton. Um, let's go there. Let's start there. Let's talk about growing up in Cavendish and, and where it all started. Yeah, well, um, I, I mean, I grew up on a farm. It was a sheep farm and... Um, both mum and dad didn't have a have a lot of money as we were growing up. We um, had four kids. Mum, sorry, mum had mum and dad had four kids under four. So um, yeah, it was pretty hard. Mum wasn't working obviously because she was looking after us, and dad was um, doing his farming, which didn't create a lot of money back in those days. But um, you know, we found other ways to entertain ourselves rather than. Um, technology and whatever else that kids get up to these days. We, because um, we're all so close in age, we we played a lot of games um, together. And you know, being on a farm, there was plenty of space to to run around. And um, I was probably always the last one to come inside because I was always pretty active kid and always wanted to be outside playing sport. So who's we? Let's let's talk about we. Who, who's the we made up of? Brothers, sisters? Yeah. So I've got. Um, I've got an older brother who's who loves his sport, but he's probably not overly talented, um, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I've got a I've got a twin sister, and we're uh, miles apart. Like we're total opposites. Um, we don't even look like sisters. Um, but she's ten minutes older than me, and then I have a younger brother who um, we probably get along probably the most, just because we're we're quite similar in personalities, and we were the probably the sporty ones that were often outside you know, kicking the footy or playing a bit of cricket in summer with my, with my dad. And dad was a sportsman and mum was a sportsman? Yeah, I probably, um, I probably get my talent from my mum, to be honest. Um, she was pretty handy. She, oh, she played so many sports growing up and I guess that's all you kind of do when you're in the country because there's not a lot else to do. And, you know, mum grew up playing a lot of basketball, netball, 
hockey. Um, she's so jealous of me being able to play footy and, and cricket. She would have loved. She's just a sports nut. She bought Foxtel just for the sports channels. That's how crazy she's about it. Um, <laughs> and dad, dad played a bit of footy and cricket growing up. He, he loves his cricket more than the footy side of things. But, um, yeah, he certainly did a lot of coaching of me um, with my footy and cricket as I was growing up. Wow, that's fascinating. So a real sporty family. Now, did they grow up out there as well? Yeah, so mum mum was a townie, as they call it down here. Um, so she <laughs> right. grew up in, in Hamilton. Um, but dad grew up on a on a farm just outside of Cavendish as well. So not too far from the property that he now owns now. So you're growing up in Cavendish, you're getting you know, you're getting some coaching from mum and dad. You're obviously getting dragged along to all different types of sports because mum was playing all different types of sports. What was the one that you fell in love with first? What did you gravitate to as a young kid growing up out there? Um, oh, geez. I reckon, I reckon it was footy I gravitated to first. Um, I'm not sure why that was, but... I was a mad Essendon supporter, so I'd often run around the, um, the farm with my James Hurd jumper on. Um, loved Hurdy as a, as a young girl. Yeah. Probably not so much now. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I just distinctly remember just always being outside, even if it was a bit rainy or muddy, just kicking the footy around. That's awesome. I never knew that, actually. So I'm a, I was... Probably not as we get older, but I was mad Essendon too. And I had the herd number. Um, I don't think we're that far apart in age. I probably got a few years on you. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I can, um, I can relate to that. So, obviously, back then, what year are we talking here? Were we mid-90s, maybe? Early yeah, 90s? Yeah, so probably, yep. oh, probably the distinct remember is probably 95, 94, 95. Okay. So, when I grew up in, I guess, metro Melbourne, if you will, in the eastern suburbs, and young girls were allowed to play, and we had girls play with us, actually, and we had a few that were much better than the boys uh, back in the day out at South Croydon. And, uh, but by the time we got to at least, I think it was 14s, and back then you went 12s, 14s, 16s, so there wasn't that in-between, um, and they weren't allowed to play anymore. Did you face that out in Cavendish? Did you have, were you blessed with that many... I guess, kids or teams to play with out there? What was the go? Yeah, so we're, I, I didn't play a lot of... So I did Auskick um, yep. in primary school. I didn't play a lot of footy. We did, like, sort of after-school sort of sports where I did play some footy. Um, but it wasn't, like, what you'd probably look at as the, um, the juniors in your, um, your teams and stuff in, in Melbourne. So um, I was able to play a bit of footy and... Uh, like out of all the schools, so there would have been about five schools, I was probably one of maybe two or three other girls that were playing footy at the time. Um, but, you know, I was, by the time I was probably 10 or 11, I was probably the size I am now. So I was able to match it and I was probably one of the biggest um, players out there because obviously the boys took a little bit time, little bit of time to to mature and hit puberty, um, but I was I hit it a bit earlier than than the others, and um, so I was I think I was playing a bit of ruck <laughs> when I first sort of started playing, um, just because uh, I was awesome. bigger. 
That could be, I mean, I was going to leave these questions for later. We may as well get straight into it. I think I've just found out why you're such a hard ass uh, and have one of the more intimidating resting bitch faces going around because you were beaten down on boys at a young age and waiting for them to get to puberty and taking advantage of beating them up out there at Cavendish. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I was actually, because well, I was a player that probably got my sledging from my cricket, actually, and um, I think I was playing seniors with my dad and I was probably the most hated cricketer. I was the only female that was playing, but I would have been maybe 16, 17, and I was probably the most hated just because I'd get under the skin of some of the, the blokes that I was playing with. Just I was just chirpy or give them a bit of a send-off if I'd get them out or something like that. Um, so I probably wasn't overly well-liked, but, you know, nothing's changed too much, Rats. Nah, and I think it's a, it's a point of difference, and it's probably what makes you a really good leader in the present time. But I want to stay on this topic because I don't think people are born like that. Some will say, oh, she or he was born with that, and they're always been like that. But there must have been a moment or a turning point where, you know, whether it was a little bit of arrogance or a little bit of self-confidence and it sort of moulded into one. Do you, can you pinpoint a time when, you know, you had that sense of um, confidence about you going into male cricket matches or football matches out at Cavendish? When did all that start? When did you start becoming that type of personality on the sporting field? Um, oh, well, I don't, probably when I was... Um, upper primary school, so you you grade five and six year levels. I probably wasn't so competitive into sledging type of things, but I've certainly had a lot of white line fever. So um, whether it be angry at umpires' decisions or you know frustrated if your teammates stuffed up, um, there was always something um, there, and that's probably when I distinctly remember. Um, having that aggressive side to my um, sporting games. Um, and then I guess, I guess when I started playing cricket, uh, um, it would have been probably under 16s, um, you know, when, when you're trying to, trying to get under the skin of your, your opposition teammates. And, um, you know, I, because I was probably one of few girls, they hated they hated um, getting out to me and they tried really hard not to. So if I was able to get a couple of wickets against them, I would definitely make them um, make them all know about it. Um, but, yeah, I guess, I don't know, I, with, the, with the footy stuff, um, I, only, I started playing um, when I was 21. So I probably started off a little bit quieter and then when, I, when my confidence sort of grew a little bit and, um, you know, felt like I belonged in the sport. That's when I probably started to get a little bit more chirpier and a bit more competitive. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So listening to you tell this story at the moment, it doesn't sound like, and, and I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong, and I hope uh, you do, but were there challenges as a young female playing in those landscapes back in the day? Or was it just accepted that Carnes is playing or Emma's playing and, and that's what it is and we're going to try and bowl as quick or tackle as hard at her as, as we would the guys and, and vice versa and, and you were obviously giving that back to them. Did you encounter challenges being a female growing up playing sport in Cavendish like maybe a, a Metro Melbourne female would? Oh, look, to be honest, I was really well accepted by everyone and I was just treated like 
every other player, which um, for me was was excellent. I probably encountered a couple of times when I was playing senior cricket with my dad where I'd come out to bat and um, there'd be a couple of bowlers that would say, oh, you know, you can you can slow it down for her. And I sort of was like, no, no, like I'm playing for a reason. So give us your best. And if you can get me out, then good on you. But if I can stay in there, then that's great for me. So um, I, I always had positive experiences. Probably the only thing that was disappointing, but this was a, you know, national wide thing was when I was 12, I had to stop playing footy because there was no um, girls teams for me to play in. So I, I really struggled with that and I really hated football. I remember watching the games on TV and only seeing males playing and I thought, well, how unfair is this that I don't get to play a game that I really love? And um, yeah, I, it probably took me until I was maybe 16, 17, where I was then playing some sort of school footy, like once a year kind of thing, where I started to enjoy the game again. Um, but, yeah, it took, took some years before I, I really loved it. And you, re- in a, I mean, you ended up resenting it then. So is that where the cricket pathway opened up? Because you played at a very high level of cricket. Is that probably when you were told you couldn't play footy at, at that age? Did cricket just pick up from there? Yeah, I think so. Like, um, I was, I mean, I'm, I'm always really active. I had to play some sort of winter sport. So I ended up playing hockey, which which I really loved. But um, in the country, we played on grass. So if you want to make it to the next level, we have to play on AstroTurf, which is a lot faster. And so I was probably never going to be as skilled enough to play and match it with the Melbourne-based players. But um, in terms of my cricket, yeah, I, I got, got to play um, you know, with with men. So that gave me a bit of a pathway to then get to the level that I was able to get to. So that's probably when it, you know, started. And, and with women's footy, at, sorry, women's cricket at the time, it was definitely more established in the national um, competition sense. And there was pathways there for me to go to, like state teams and things like that. So um, that sort of triggered my, my passion to, to continue on with my cricket career. So was football always in the back of your mind though? Did you feel if you had an opportunity, if it ever came up, that you could go and play it, were you going to drop the bat and ball and go and play? Oh, it it, it didn't really um, cross my mind to be honest because I didn't think it was a, an option. Like I knew I went to Ballarat, Ballarat Uni and um, so I didn't really go to Melbourne that often. So I didn't realise how many women were playing the game and this would this was say like nine, 10 years ago. Um, and even then I was sort of like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm like, I'm happy just playing the sports that I'm, I'm doing. And there's no like end goal for me. Like it's just playing a, you know, your community sort of footy. And um, I guess in my third year of uni, I, I played in the uni games and um, played footy at that time and absolutely loved it. And then one of my, mates from cricket she actually said why don't you come across to to Melbourne Uni and play and I was like oh geez I'm a I'm a poor uni student I don't know if I can pay for the fees so luckily my auntie uh, chipped in for me and paid for my footy fees when I was 21 um and so I'm you know super grateful for that because um even when I started at Melbourne Uni I didn't think anything of it I just thought yeah I'll get to play this great game Never thought there would be like a national competition 
and that's 10 years ago. So it's, uh, it goes a long way to see how far the game's gone. A hundred percent. And we're better, we are absolutely better for it. Um, and I want to get to that, but you've skipped a little bit because I assume they don't have universities in Cavendish. No. <laughs> so <laughs> when did, they so, definitely don't. <laughs> so when did, um, when did the decision to leave come about and what was it? What, lured you into university was it just to is that is that a thing that happens out there it's about getting out of Cavendish at a certain time without disrespecting the community but people go off to uni or go to work in Melbourne or interstate so where was it for you what got you into university and where were you where were you off to yeah I guess for me um you're either you're either stay in the town and, and do a trade or um work at the local pubs and or in hospitality or something or you you go and study and for me I always wanted to be a PE teacher I loved my PE teachers loved my sport so um wanted to want to get to Ballarat which probably at the time had one of the best courses so and to be honest I being a quiet country girl I didn't really fancy going to the big smoke and thought it was too scary for me so um when I was 18 left home and studied at Ballarat for four years and during that time, particularly the first year, I got um, completely um, homesick. I was, um, yeah, at times really wanted to quit uni because it was just, it was really tough. Um, I really missed just being at home and, and being around mum and dad and your support networks and all of a sudden they weren't weren't there. So um, there was plenty of phone calls home and, and luckily for me, mum, mum would often say, look, just take one day at a time. Um, you'll get through it and you know you'll be you'll be very thankful that you completed the the course which you know I'm glad that I listened to mum's advice because um, you know I might have been um, back in Cavendish by now and not played AFL at all and you know been working on the farm with dad or something not that that's um, a bad thing but it's just um, yeah worlds could be completely different if I decided to quit uni do you reckon she knew subconsciously that without pushing you too hard, and it would have been a really tough time, but um, do you reckon she knew subconsciously that if you could just get through and get that degree and then have a little bit more time in the in the big smoke, as you said, that you'd be able to adjust and potentially do all the things that she wasn't allowed to do growing up? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I, think, I think you're right. I think she, she probably wanted to go to uni when she was younger, but then um, she had her... Her dad died when she was 18, 19, and um, she also suffered from a bit of homesickness. So she probably didn't take the plunge like I did. And so that's probably her sort of encouraging me and realising that if I did stick with it, then um, some good things will come out of it, which obviously it has. Yeah, it's awesome. It's great. I left Melbourne for WA when I was 19, and then I was back in Melbourne by 21. and I mean, had that not have happened, I may not have met my now wife and now got four kids, et cetera. But I wouldn't change that for the world. But there's always that little thing that chips away. You're like, what if, what if I'd stuck it a little bit longer in Perth, vocationally with a job and also football-wise, having a crack over there. So you just never know. And my phone calls back home, they ended up being, well, you know, if you're feeling that strong about it and you want to come home, come home. But I didn't really have that presence that was not forceful, but just going, no, no try and stick it out, see what happens. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I can relate to that in a sense of it not working out. 
and coming home, but I wouldn't change it for anything. But it's just one of those things. Sometimes you stop yourself and you go, geez, I wonder what could have happened. And, and potentially your mum was thinking that for you. Um, I bet yeah. you're pretty grateful now the way things have turned out that that little push in the right directions has, has ended up in a, well, first off a really good cricket career, but now a, a pretty amazing footy career. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, when I did first start uni, there was no way that I even thought that I'd be playing one sport, let alone two sports at the highest level I possibly could play. So, um, yeah, I'm you know, forever grateful for everything that my parents have done for me so far. Yeah, it's awesome. It's cool. So you get to Melbourne. So you're here, you're in, you're in the big smoke, as you said, and you get taken to Melbourne Uni. Auntie pays for the fees, which is a fantastic part of the story. Thank God she did. Um, how long before you thought, and because AFLW wasn't too far away, maybe, well, VFLW wasn't too far away from there either. So when did you start thinking this could become, and although it's not a career path yet for a lot of the AFLW girls because we're not full-time, but when did you think we could get a national competition and that you could be performing at the highest level? Oh, geez. Um, probably wasn't until, I think it was 2013, they had the first um, exhibition game. And that's when I thought, oh, geez, this, this, is, this is serious. Like, this is when we can actually have a national competition. So that was, that was really exciting for me. Previously, before that, they were just having, um, like, national carnivals. And I remember, what have been... Maybe my second year at Melbourne Uni and I tried out the state team and Pete Searle was the coach who's now at St Kilda and um, I just remember I, did, I didn't make the side and so I asked for feedback and so the feedback that I got was that I was too slow and too unfit, which, you know, coming straight out of uni, I probably was a little bit unfit. Um, so, I, I mean, I took that feedback on board and, and worked really hard to to get fitter and get in better shape um, because, yeah, I, I knew that it wasn't at the standard that it needed to be. And, um, you know, probably over the space of, I don't know, two two years or so, I probably lost about 10 kilos and, and got myself obviously a lot fitter and stronger and as a result played some better footy. Wow. But you only got introduced to Melbourne late in your life. So you had to, I mean, I, I assume that's where the disco nickname comes from. You were partying. <laughs> We've got a lot of different foods here than what you would have had in Cavendish. So yeah, well, that's exactly right. You've got to try all <laughs> these things. Yeah. I mean, Peter could have been a little bit more understanding of that, but um, so for a lot of, for a lot of, a lot of young athletes, male or female would sometimes take that advice and, you know, take it the wrong way or, or not go out there and, and try and prove people wrong and get get better. So in that point, what did you go and do? What Did you have mentors at the time or people that you could lean on for advice or did you just knuckle down and go and train hard? What were the little turning points that you started to make off the back of that information? No, it was, it was probably, I'm quite self-motivated. So it was probably just taking that feedback on board and then um, doing a lot more training. So one of my mates was a exercise um, um, physiologist. So she, she usually writes really good programs. Um, she's done a lot of strength and conditioning stuff before. So he was able to write me some running programs that I was able to do. And, and that got me 
in in far better better nick but i guess for me i've always my parents have always even if you've had you know 40 touches and you've kicked five goals which is i've never actually done before but even if i did um both mum and dad would tell me that i've done something wrong so um or i need to improve in some areas so they've always kept me really grounded and you know i'm taking like people are giving you feedback because they want to make you better not not to embarrass you or anything. So for me, it's it's utilising that feedback. Sometimes you don't like hearing it, but um, using it to, to make yourself a better better player. Do you think that's harder for you to get now? Because, I mean, and if we talk about the present time, um, and I'm probably skipping ahead a little bit, but at the present time, being an AFLW captain, um, you've won a league medal, you've played in a premiership. So you are in the elite. Uh, bracket of players, whether you like to hear that or not, you are in the AFLW. So do you find that sometimes coaches or people around you tend to maybe just blow wind up your ass for the sake of it because they're maybe a little bit worried about the response that you'll give them if, you, if they do actually give you some, some critical feedback? Have you found that in the later part of your career happening more often? Um, not so much. I, I find it... It's it's a hard juggling act for coaches in AFLW because you've got such a um, range of abilities. So it's being able to make the the bottom end better, but also making that top end um, even better than they are. So um, that's probably the challenge that I've seen that coaches have had is is giving me stuff to to really challenge me without um, trying to leave the the other players behind. But um, for me, it's, I mean, I, I always look at my games and reflect and then pretty much whatever I say about my game is what the coaches have sort of identified as areas that I need to get better at. So then it's during that week, you know, if it's if it was ground balls that I need to work on or if it was positioning at stoppages and, and utilising my body, that's what I'll work on um, individually um, during the week. So then I'm prepared for that next game that I play. Yeah, I think there's so many good lessons out of what you've touched on there. I think it's two-way. For coaches at the moment, I think we overcoach footy so much and coaches won't like me hearing that. But the reality is we're just a, a bunch of people that can't play anymore. So coaching keeps us connected to, to footy. So we think we need to give this A-plus answer or this revolutionary idea to the players. But we just need to ask more of the players as what motivates you? What makes you better, do you feel? And for players like yourself, I know that um, your defensive side of the game is something that this year you have really prided yourself on and that if your defensive stats are up, the rest of your game looked after yourself. So I guess that leads me into asking you about being self-aware. And for young players coming through, whether they're male or female, through the the stages now, how important is it to be self-aware and even be a little bit critical of yourself to get the best version of yourself in the long run. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly important. But to be honest, I probably wasn't so self-aware when I was year 20 to 25. I probably didn't even realise what person I was or wanted to be until I probably hit the age that I am now. And that's that's really hard and that comes with a lot of experiences. But I guess it's it's actually it's being really honest with yourself and looking at all right, what are my strengths and let's focus on 
how I can utilize them in a game. But what are my weaknesses? What do I really need to get better at to make my game even better than what it is? And um, sometimes that's really hard and it's good to have either a mentor or other coaches to, to talk to about that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's often not nice to hear what you're not good at, but if you're able to then work on those weaknesses or I shouldn't say weaknesses, but areas for improvement, then it will just take your game to a, another level rather than being sort of one dimensional and, you know, just having those one or two strengths that, um, yeah, that, you know, continue to improve, but the rest of your game doesn't. It's, um, it's interesting to hear you say, not until now, I mean, you're 30, 30 now, 31? 30, yeah, 30 now. Yeah, so why is that, Carnes? Why, why so long to f- sort of become self-aware and, and find yourself, I guess? What were the challenges going through those, those late teens, early to mid-20s, you know, inside and outside footy while you're, you're trying to make your way through the, the, uh, the wide world? What, was, what were the challenges that you were facing? I suppose that the main challenge is um, you're trying to work out where you fit in. So for me, I went from having a group of friends at high school and I never had super close friends because they were never super sporty like me or I didn't feel like I um, really belonged, I guess. And then so then you go to uni and then you're trying to be this other person that you're probably not because you, you haven't quite, you still haven't quite found the people that you really belong to. and and then it's like your life's constantly changing. You know, you go from uni to then all of a sudden you have your, a full-time job and but you're still young enough that you're, you're going out and um, doing all those fun things. And it probably isn't until you're like the age that I am now at 30 where you're a little bit more settled. So you've got, you've got a settled job and an income. You've got, got yourself a, you know, a house and um, that kind of thing. And that's when you, you sort of realise what kind of person that you have become or that you are starting to become. Um, but I think in those earlier years, you just, you're just trying to fit in and you're trying to find your people. And it probably wasn't until particularly um, football for me and, and AFLW is when I really found, found my people. Yeah, that's cool. That's a really cool answer. So I guess some advice for young people going through is maybe just try and be as genuine to yourself as possible and it'll come. That your people, inverted commas, that, that moment will come. Oh, absolutely. Um, there's no point being someone that you're not. If you can be as authentic as you can, um, it's so much cooler being a unique person rather than trying to fit in with everyone else like everyone's made to be different and you know if we can celebrate everyone's differences we're a better off society and world rather than just having one have having everyone the exact same i couldn't agree more i feel for younger people coming through now because the the pressure to be something that they're not is so extreme and there's so many influences out there that you know lead young people to that and it's sort of like they're trying to keep up with the joneses not that they know what that term means but they're always having to keep up with the next trend um whereas you know being genuine is now a point of difference because you become an outlier um but if young people can find out how to become accustomed to that and be more true to themselves and not be ashamed of 
liking different things or about their sexuality or about what music they like or what food they eat or where they have to be. Sometimes young people get so caught up in all this stuff and before you know it, they don't know where they're at and it then can lead them down some dangerous roads. It's, um, and we see that often in sport, don't we, with, um, with young people that are dealing with all those things outside footy and then they get to footy and they don't have a control over that either and it's a bit of a spiral in the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. I, I'm think, I think I'm grateful that social media wasn't really around when I was a teenager. I think we can both. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're both thankful for that. I don't think they'd let me coach if I, there was social media around. <laughs> <laughs> and you would have been the same. Your, your nickname is Disco. So um, <laughs> they wouldn't have let you play. So let's talk about Melbourne Uni and you get into the thick of it. And then all of a sudden the opportunity does arise to become an AFLW player. Uh, how exciting is it? What's the, the process? What's it look like? How, how do you go into that, mate? What was it all about at that time? Yeah, well, I guess because um, previously to that, we'd played four exhibition games and I was lucky enough to play at the Bulldogs at that stage. And um, I'd going into the 2017 season, so this was in 2016, they were looking for marquee players at the time and I wasn't one of those, but um, other clubs um, were looking to potentially pre-sign me. So. Um, because there was a couple of players, um, Meg Hutchins and Lausanne L, that were working at Carlton and Collingwood respectively. Um, there was clubs that could pre-select um, players. So, um, yeah, I had, had a conversation with the, the Bulldogs and they were, they were wanting to pre-sign me, which was, I mean, it was such an amazing feeling because I'd been around that club for the four four years with the exhibition games, and then to to officially sort of be an AFLW player was was pretty special, and it, it meant that I didn't have to go through the the draft, which for a lot of my teammates who did that said it was a pretty nerve wracking experience. So for me, I was um, sort of locked in early days and um, could settle the nerves a bit. That's fascinating. It's uh, it's an awesome story. I mean, while you had the luck and fortune of that. Like you said, the, I think there was 140 or 50 picks. And um, I remember stories about some of the girls who were last picked. Nearly everyone had left the, the draft and there were you know, a skeleton crew of people for those last few picks and their names got read out. And um, for some of those young women, it was the, the happiest day of their lives. Um, so you go into pre-season at the Bulldogs, but you're still juggling... Um, your study by now, I assume you, you have finished your study and you're going on to teaching or, or PE teaching at least. Yeah. So by, by that stage, I was already a PE teacher. So I was working full time uh, at a school in Flemington. So it wasn't too far away from, from Witten Oval, but um, yeah, going into the first pre-season, I was playing big bash at the time for Melbourne stars and working full time as a teacher. And then, um, yeah, getting to footage training as often as I possibly could. So during that first pre-season, I probably missed probably seven or eight training sessions just because it clashed with my big bash commitments. But, um, yeah, I remember one of my good mates, Lawrence Bark, who I'd often sit next to in the team meetings. She would often have to elbow me in the ribs because 
um, I'd be falling asleep in the team meeting um, just because I was just exhausted, um, just because like teaching stressful enough as it is. But um, when you were doing both sports as well, it, it made it definitely a lot more challenging. And you've got to be on with your day job. So you've got to be on early in the morning before you get to school, then the classes and whatever gets thrown at you from that point. And then let's say three o'clock, 3.30 comes along, the day finishes, but that's not necessarily when the day finishes for a teacher. And then you are required to get to the Witten Oval by about 4, 4.30, maybe you know a little bit later if you're lucky, do your weights program, uh, do your pre, pre-training programs, uh, whatever you're assigned to do then sit in the meetings and then by the time you get on the track, it could be 6.30, quarter to seven. By the time you get off the track, it could be nine o'clock. Um, and then post the rehab, the meal, etc. you could be walking out with the girls at quarter to 10 and rinse and repeat. Is that what it looked like? Um, yeah, pretty, pretty much. It was, um, it was pretty full on. So, and then sort of here between that, um, on my days off from footy, I'd often have cricket training that night. So instead of doing footy training, it'd be cricket training instead. So I think, um, I mean, for me, I was on school holidays when a lot of the Big Bash was actually played, but in the lead up to the Big Bash, we were training for footy and, and cricket. So I think maybe Friday, Friday off, the rest of the time it was either games or training. So, yeah, it was pretty, pretty hectic sort of schedule um that's for sure that's crazy and then having to perform both as a teacher and a footballer i've got to ask you with all that going on how do you find balance in that time how do you switch off and make time for you friends relationships stuff like that family checking in and how important is it to do that and if you didn't realize that early on in the career what are the differences now in things that you were doing to what you're doing now in regards to getting that balance right? Because from what I can hear, this is just a, it's an insanely busy lifestyle with teaching cricket, footy. That's craziness. Yeah, I, I probably struggled, to be honest, in the first couple of years of AFLW because I was still doing the footy as well. And so, sorry, I was still doing cricket. And um, yeah, I just, I, probably mentally just burnt out a little bit um, because you just didn't really have a lot of downtime. And as you know, ruts like AFLW is so intense and you, you love the environment that you're in and you want to be spending a lot of time with the people that you're, you're playing with or for you, you're coaching. So I think for me, what I, what I had learnt is when you do get some downtime, either spend it for yourself and do something that you really love to do so whether that's just going for a walk or you I don't know go see a movie or get a massage or whatever um and then other times when you're away from the club or away from your work is spending quality time with your your mates or your your family members or um partners whatever it might be for for whoever um just because you you need that mental break away from the game and away from your work because if you're constantly talking about it um you're just gonna you're gonna burn out and you're not gonna enjoy it i think and i can only speak on um in regards to the women footballs that i've coached but 
they're very good at letting you know when they do need a break or they're very good at just letting you know how they're feeling and where they're at a lot of the time. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that might be a societal thing though, Rats, but in the fact that um, when it comes to mental health, um, there's still that stigma attached with um, men and they feel like they're a bit weak if they mention that they're struggling. So I think the more that we can encourage um, people to voice how they're feeling, and, um, then the better everyone will be. Um, because, you know, our sporting careers don't last a long time, but if um, if you can get on top of those mental battles, then, then you can obviously um, last a lot longer than, than it is. So, yeah, it's it's always been a good thing that the a lot of the females are speaking about their mental health concerns. Yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree more. I think... Um... Yeah, I guess before I respond with my opinion on that, don't move because we nearly lost you with this amazing response. And then I think maybe you're taking up all the internet usage in Cavendish and it's, co- <laughs> <laughs> it's costing us. <laughs> but um, something that I, I learned, I get, I get asked a lot, um, what's it like to coach female footballers? And my response, apart from the absolute obvious, there is no real difference apart from the fact that the girls um, make you a better coach because they're really literal, literal. And um, they just will do, I mean, early days, pretty much anything you tell them to do out on the ground, they'd be doing. So you really got to be good at coaching 101 and bringing back, um, bringing it back to its simplest form, which makes you a better footy coach. But definitely the, the biggest thing that I'm learning and even out of this season is just, not putting a mask on your emotions and just talking and just being absolutely upfront and honest. So if you're having a shit day, well, you're having a shit day. And sometimes just by saying that to someone opens up this conversation, you start bouncing off each other and you just feel better. And the girls are so good at that. Um, and it builds better relationships from player coach. And then as the games in the season goes on, you can have the hard conversations. You can have the laughs. You can go through a whole roller coaster of emotions, but you know that you're a, both on the same level in getting the best out of each other. And I think guys are getting better at that now, much better. Um, and you only have to look as an outsider at the Richmond teams and the Collingwood teams and how their coaches and players talk. And they're openly talking about their love for each other and they're hugging, they're open about their emotions. They go through different scenarios in theatres and talking about their stories and their journeys, um, which is something that we've done and, and listen to as well at North. Um, it's getting better, but you're right. I think women are so far ahead of the game when it comes to dealing with their mental health from a society standpoint and definitely from a footy standpoint. It makes you, it makes me a better coach knowing when I, if I ever do go back to men's footy, the questions I can ask or the, the cues I can look for to, to help that individual because I've learned that in the women's space. So it's a pretty, pretty cool thing to see. You guys are, you guys are ahead of the game there. Yeah, no, absolutely agree with you there, Ruts. Beautiful. So you won a premiership in amongst this busy time um, and it was a darn close one. That Brisbane team, even to this day, are just a relentless footy team um, leading into that season. You guys had some dominant displays, but you also got hit with some pretty unfortunate injuries throughout the season. Um, 
But you get to that final day and you win it, which is amazing. But then I think you're faced with a pretty difficult decision on whether to, to leave the Bulldogs or go around again and become part of an inaugural team or, or to stay put. So when did all those conversations start happening for you and did it bring uh, unwanted pressure at that time? Um, oh, well, so I was, because Melbourne Uni had the affiliation with North Melbourne, I was always really comfortable with North as a footy club and I sort of spoke, like had a relation, existing relationship with Laura Kane, um, who's the footy ops there, as you know, and um, I sort of said, look, when North get a licence, um, I'll, I'll play there for you. So obviously after our second year, or sorry, my first year at Bulldogs, going into my second year, we'd find found out that North had, are going to enter the competition in, in 2019. And um, so for me, um, even before the season had started with the Bulldogs in 2018, I'd already know, I already knew that I was going to, um, yeah, I already knew that I was well, wanted to go to North Melbourne. And um, I suppose they only sort of spoke to me after the, the grand final when when they could speak to me um so yeah i guess from that perspective it was an amazing feeling winning a premiership at the bulldogs and, and something that i'd always dreamt of from a really young age but um there was part of me that was a little bit sad because i knew that that was probably going to be my last game for the club and and last time that i'd play with um the group of girls that i'd played with but in saying that, I think I made a really good decision, um, not just with my football sense, but in a career sense as well. And I'm, you know, forever grateful for the opportunity that I had at Bulldogs and, and you know, I'm thrilled to be at North Melbourne now. Absolutely. So, did, so you knew going in, but did anyone else know? Did you announce it? Did you keep it to yourself? Was that difficult? If so? Um, oh, there was a couple of couple of um, my close teammates that I spoke to about it, um, and they weren't all that surprised. Um, but the rest of the team didn't know. But around that time, there was always a bit of media speculation about me going to North Melbourne. So um, yeah, I had to had to play it pretty cool and um, just sort of palm it off a little bit. But um, yeah, I knew that the decision was going to be the right one for me and um, I was really happy with it. And like, I'm so competitive. So whatever jumper that I'm putting on, um, I'm going to give my absolute all for that side. So um, that was never going to be an issue for me. And um, I was able to win a premiership, which was, which was pretty cool. 100, 100%. I think talking about the competitive stuff, do you think that has potentially steered you into a, a platform of leadership because um, going through the story and just thinking about what we're talking and what we have spoken about, like the upbringing at Cavendish and everything that you were faced with there and then moving away from home and dealing with the university struggles and moving to Melbourne, um, but always holding that, I guess, drive of competitiveness and, you know, even stubbornness, if you will, not to give up and not to give in. Do you think in the women's space early days, perhaps that was a point of difference. And you sort of had no choice but to be a leader because while everyone else is potentially trying to find their way and 
in still caught up in that sort of happy-go-lucky, how great is it that we've got women's footy, whereas now it's become a like, okay, we're past that. We mean business. We want to be full-time soon. We want to win premierships. I'm really fucking serious as a footballer. Do you think that's set you apart as the years have gone on? Yeah, uh, I, th- I think so. Um, it's definitely helped my footy. I know that if I play on the edge a little bit um, and I have the competitive juices flowing, that's when I usually play my best. Um, in terms of the leadership side of things, um, everyone's perspective on what's a good leader is is going to be different. So, um, I'm, as you know, I'm not always the one that does a lot of the talking, but I try to lead by the way I go about um, my training and, and my fitness, but also um, the, the way I play my games and I'm um, trying to make those around me um, better players. And I think that's probably a sign of a, of a good leader and something that I've learnt. If, um, if you can make those players around you better, then you're doing a good job. And always a ongoing process and you know I'm only in the second year of it as being a captain so um, a lot of work that I can still be doing but hopefully I can continue on um, in a positive way and and continue to help develop some of the younger girls on this. Do you separate the two player and leader and do you have different things that you do to make sure that you're, you're ready to play the game but also do you check in with other mentors or other resources to work on leadership and what that looks like for you? Um, yeah, you do, you do separate them in some ways because you've got to have time to, to work on you as a, as a footballer and, and make sure that you're playing the best football you can do. But you also need a chance to reflect on your leadership style and um, if it's working, um, where you can get better at. So, um, there's a few people that I've worked with and I still work with um, that I regularly talk to about about leadership, more so just in general, and sort of get some advice from them here and there. Or um, if they're talking about different things, I'll pick up on little things. Um, but I think for me, it's it's about getting an understanding of the playing group and building relationships and rapport with the players so they can you can bring them on the journey with you. Yeah, it's great. It's great advice. How important is it to you to win for North Melbourne? Obviously, let's have a, a brief chat before we wrap this up. It's been an awesome insight into um, into your life and I really appreciate it. But just this, uh, this last part, um, football and amongst a lot of things and some, sometimes you sort of got to stop yourself and go, you know, people are really sick and people have lost jobs and, even lost loved ones. We lost footy, which was really disappointing, but in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's not a big deal. But for this uh, part of the conversation, the reality is the season was stopped. Um, North had a, an amazing opportunity to go on and potentially win. Um, a, how did it feel to be stopped? And B, how important is it to you to, to win for North Melbourne Footy Club? Yeah, it was, um, it was a really odd feeling. Like there was there's probably no words to really describe it apart from a feeling of flat flatness. And, you know, you, you 
like all the clubs that were still in the finals race, you you try your absolute guts out during pre-season and in the season to get yourself into a position and then for it to be taken away was um, pretty hard to take. And even even now sort of reflect on what could have been. You know, we could have been playing a final series right now and, and that's that's hard to sort of comprehend in some ways. But as you said before, there's, there's, a, there's a bigger picture which, um, you know, we've got to make sure that the community is safe and, and everyone else is being looked after. Um, so for me, winning is, I mean, that's why, that's why you play team sports is, well, you know, to have fun, to play with your mates, but you're going to do all those two things when, you, when you're winning as well. So, um, yeah, we'll just keep building on our momentum from this year and hopefully we can put in some ripping performances again and get a few more wins on the board and, and hopefully come away with the Premiership Cup at some stage. Very well said, for sure. Just to stop uh, all that talk now and, and get a little insight on potentially what you're doing outside of, you know, the Cavendish lifestyle at the moment or uh, the teaching and the, the footy. What other resources are you looking at to making yourself better? What Do you do anything different outside of your normal routine or are you into different things and how do you escape the the normalities of work and football life? Yeah, well, I've got a um, a little um, golden retriever pup. Well, he's he's uh, 13 months old now, but he still acts like a puppy. So <laughs> he he definitely keeps me really busy. Um, but I'm also a massive foodie, so I um, I'm right into my cooking, and um, that's that's probably my outlet um, is to get into the kitchen and um, cook up a big big feed for the family. Um, yeah, it's just something that I've always loved since I was a younger younger kid. And, um, yeah, I've developed, particularly, as she said earlier, all the different foods in Melbourne, you've got to try them out. So <laughs> then you've got to also try and make them as well. Um, I'm not much of a baker. I don't really like baking. I find that a bit tedious. But just cooking meals as opposed to baking, a lot better. So you've just gone back to Cavendish and started cooking battered salves and... And, uh, yeah, that's right. And HS, HSPs for everyone. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mate, this has been a great chat. Uh, some really, really good insights. And uh, I guess you're another great reason as to why I wanted to start doing this podcast to um, to get a better insight of people and their journeys. And I know for sure out of this chat that um, young people, whether they're in sport or not, and not even young people, people in, in sport or business or anyone that aspires to be in a leadership role is going to get something out of this chat and I thank you very much for your time and hopefully um, although you're having a great time in Cavendish I hope that everything goes back to normal soon and um, you're out doing what you love doing what you love which is playing AFW footy good on you Ratsy thanks for that thanks mate